Hey friends, do you ever feel overwhelmed with the chaos that goes on in the world? Do you just wish that God would bring justice for those who are wronged? Our guest today says that justice comes in many forms and that God cares about those who are hurting, even if they're criminals. That's challenging. Plus, she has a true crime podcast from a Christian perspective. It's all fascinating. You're going to love it. Let's get started. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 324, Lori Morrison and God's Compassion for the Hurting. Well, hey, friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm so glad that you're here. I know, I know I say that every episode, but I really am. You have no idea how encouraging it is to a podcaster when we see that you've downloaded and you're listening to the show. We put a lot of work into these things. And so if it encourages you, blesses you, uh, encourages you to ask some deeper questions with the Lord, that's what we're after. Uh, because this journey with him is, uh, it is something that we need to hear and to, and to just be encouraged on. So I want you, I want you to have that. Um, when, when you enjoy this episode, would you go ahead and share this, uh, with somebody, just text it to a friend or a family member. Uh, maybe you're a true crime junkie. This one's going to be for you. So maybe you want to send it to somebody you're like, we got to got to hear it. Uh, you're gonna like it, so we appreciate that. And of course, as always, if you want to share the episode, uh, or you want to share financially with the episode, go to halfwaythereepodcast.com and hit that Patreon button. And there's a few of you who help out tremendously. I appreciate you very, very much. Keeps uh, keeps all the things happening, websites and posting and all that kind of stuff that we that we actually. I have to do as podcasters. All right, so I'm excited to get into this. I teased just a little bit about True Crime, but that's because our guest has a True Crime podcast. She is a licensed private investigator, podcast host, and author, and a speaker. Lori Morrison is our guest. Lori, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to have you as well and to just hear some of your story because uh, you've got a job that not all of us, that is really unique. And so all of us think, oh, that must be so glamorous. I'm guessing it's not really all the time, right? But tell tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's definitely not glamorous all the time. I've had uh, (laughs) plenty of times where I've been doing surveillance and absolutely nothing happens. Right, right. Okay, but... But you're doing surveillance. So for the rest of us, that's exotic. So tell us tell us about kind of what that means and where God has you right now with, with all that. There's a lot of various things you can do if you're a PI. You can be helping investigate insurance fraud. You can be doing family stuff, which is not my favorite. It's just really sad. Um, I'm fortunate enough. I have a mentor that I've worked with for years, and she does a lot of cold case homicides. And so I think that's what people think of when they're thinking PI, but uh, even that can get a little tedious. It's not super exciting all the time, but it's gratifying when you know you're helping a family that is kind of at the end of their rope emotionally, sometimes spiritually, and just being able to be there for them and, you know, and not only working on the case, but just being for the, being there for them person to person. Yeah. Right. So it sounds like you're able to bring, so this is the interesting thing, right? You're a private investigator, but you're, you bring a Christian perspective to that, right? So mm-hmm. you, you care about the human aspect of it. All right. We'll talk about all of that. I'm sure, you know, you mentioned, we said it's not glamorous. I can only imagine sitting there doing surveillance or trying to figure out like, you're just, it's gotta be boring sometimes. Right. It's like yeah. everybody thinks it's cool to be a rock star, but nobody thinks about the traveling between city to city all the time. Right? Exactly. And, you know, you, you can't just completely sit there doing nothing because the minute you take your eyes off what you're supposed to be watching, that's when something does happen. So yeah. you, you can't fill the boring hours with other stuff. You got to you got to stay focused and you got to make sure that nobody really notices what you're doing, which yep. is easier in some situations than others. All right. I want you to teach me how to lose a tail, but we can do that later. So, all right, here's, this is, uh, so let's dive in because we don't want to talk about your story. I'm just curious how you got here and how the Lord factors and all that. So where are you from? I know you're in Nashville now, but where are you from? I'm from Indiana originally. So good old solid, solid Midwestern yeah. values, but I wasn't really Absolutely. raised in the church. Well, tell me about that. I think that my family, you know, I think we considered ourselves Christians because we weren't Buddhists. 
you know, <laughs> you're in America, you're just a Christian. So it was, it was that type of, of, um, upbringing that I had, you know, certainly my parents taught me right from wrong, good from bad, serving other people, not being selfish, but there wasn't an emphasis on having a personal relationship with Jesus. Thankfully, God pursued me when I didn't know enough to pursue him. And he was always bringing people in my life who were people of faith, who did have an active relationship with Jesus. And so the more and more I was around them, the more and more I could see value in that. And I got a curiosity about what that might mean for me. And so, you know, I wish I could say I had this big aha moment, you know, this big dramatic story, but I don't really, it was just slowly over time, God continually putting me in situations and with people that drew me closer to him. And then finally, when I was, gosh, I think 23 years old, I said, you know, I need, I need to make a public statement of my faith. You know, I had been baptized as a child, but it was a little sprinkling thing and all that. And Mm -hmm. I don't even remember it. And so I was baptized at 23 and then not that that did anything magical, but for me, it made me take things seriously. It made me really decide, okay, am I going to live for Christ? Am I going to study what he teaches about how I'm supposed to live and then actually do that? Yeah. Right. And so, well, I love that because I don't think we have to have a dramatic story. I think sometimes this is how God works, right? Mm-hmm. And I want I want our friends listening to know that. So to, I want I want to have you just describe what that was like. What were some of the events as you were kind of you said there were people and as you were you know going through as a young woman and realizing all of a sudden oh yeah actually I do believe this and I, I need to I want to take it to the next level. What was that like for you? I had friends that would invite me to go to their church. Um, I I was actually asked to be in a church choir and I went for the choir, not the church. I was an athlete in high school and college. And so I was in FCA, but again, I was there for the A, not the C. (laughs) And so, you know, God just kept going, you know, Hey, Hey, (laughs) tapping me on the shoulder until I finally just realized all of these people have been so wonderful to me. Why, what is it about them? Oh, Yeah. The one thing they all have in common is they have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And wow, how, how different would my life look if I did that too? If I didn't just kind of keep floating on the waves, but I really dove deep. And of course that's been a process. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. And we'll talk about that uh, some more as we go, but that's, yeah, that's, I think really important friends. Don't miss the significance of just showing up. This has been a theme for me this week because uh, I just think it's so powerful. And, you know, there are, so like uh, FCA is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, right? And so you were, you were an athlete and you were, you were in that and hanging out for the social time maybe, right? Mm-hmm. But somebody had to run that and somebody had to show up and make sure that there was donuts and food and maybe somebody speak or whatever. And that's thankless work. Right. Yes. Like it, it it can be, but sometimes it, you don't get to see all of the, all of the things that happen as a result, all the work that God does because you showed up. So don't, don't discount that and don't discount a story that even um, may be gradual to the Lord, right? Cause God is working. We just have to have eyes to see. So that's what I love about uh, what you just shared. So tell me, like from there, you made this commitment and you're like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm in, I'm going to go deeper. What'd that look like for you? Were there Bible studies, mentors, books? Like what, what were those kinds of things that really maybe experiences with the Lord that happened that helped you get deeper? Well, I love to read. So yes, I got my hands on, mm. you know, all the Beth Moores and cause she's, she's still big now, but she was really, really big at that time. And just going to Bible studies at church, volunteering in VBS, you can learn a lot as an adult working VBS because, yeah, I mean, even if you know the stories, you've heard all that stuff, watching the kids learn it and absorb it. And then the questions they come up with, because kids will just cut right to the heart of the matter. They're not going to dance around it like we do as Every adults. time, right? So I would say just... Again, not any one big thing, but just going to Bible studies, 
reading on my own devotionals, getting involved in helping others. That's probably the biggest thing I have found in my walk with God is I get so much more out of the activities where I'm supposedly (laughs) helping other people. So right now I do um, some ministry in jail, actually helping lead a Bible study there. Kind of felt like kind of felt like balancing the scales maybe a little bit since I was, you know, working during the day to, to put people in jail possibly. (laughs) Um, and I, I just, I've been so humbled, so humbled as I've worked in the jail because, you know, I can be fairly black and white. I've gotten a little bit more into the gray side of life since then, because you meet these folks and you realize not that I want to excuse anybody's behavior because we do have to pay our debts to society. We do have to experience the consequences of our actions. But I had one lady in Bible study and it's not like you sit there and go, well, Hey, what are you in here for? So you just wait for them gradually to open up to you. And she was in on drug charges. Like most of them were. And I finally found out she was about 23 years old. And then a few weeks later, she mentioned her 11 year old daughter. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, I'm not real good at math, but this is not adding up to me. And and she shared that she had been molested by a family member and that resulted in a pregnancy. And I thought, well, okay, if I had had to walk that road, would I have turned to drugs to try to deal with what I'd been through? Maybe. So instead of just saying, hey, you're doing drugs, you're bad. It really gave me a different perspective on how sheltered and fortunate that I've been. Absolutely. I think that's so fascinating. Um, are you familiar with Christina Dent? Do you know her? No. I, I, that's somebody I, we need to connect with. But um, she was on the show and she has a whole organization called End It For Good dealing with that very issue, right? Because she realized she took in a foster child and because the mother was on drugs and she was at a visitation and the uh, mom like parked and came running to, to her. Right. And that was the first thought for her. Like, Oh, this person isn't a bad person. She's a mother who loves her kids. Why do people do drugs then? Why, why would you do that? And so she started going into that psychology, um, which is really a little bit um, astounding how absolutely um, life changing having that moment, uh, you know, thinking about, other people's motivations and how not far actually you might be. Right. And our jails have really become kind of a dumping ground for people with mental health issues that, that either can't or won't address them. And so I see a lot of women that are struggling with that. Um, They might be struggling with homelessness and what they're doing is they're self-medicating. They know something's not quite right. They know that Mm. their thoughts are are maybe somewhat disordered or they've got tremendous anxiety or whatever their issue is. These are not necessarily people that can make it regularly to a doctor, even if they can find one that works on a sliding scale or, or works for free. Plus, if you're homeless, even if you can get your hands on some, some actual doctor prescribed medications, you don't have anywhere safe to put it. It gets stolen and then you turn to street drugs. Right. So, right. wow. yeah, it's, that's a whole, that's a whole other episode. Well, it is. And it's, and it's important. Okay. So, uh, interesting that you, you found compassion. I'm also curious. So you found, you know, you got involved, right? And so you did the thing and you're going to the Bible studies and, you know, I'm sure that was a, a period of time and serving and helping others. And that was, that was growing you. Uh, how did you get into being a private investigator? How did that happen? Yeah, it certainly wasn't my plan as a little girl. I did not grow up (laughs) dreaming to be a PI or a podcaster for that matter, because there might be somebody now, right? Having listened to Serial or something who has that dream, but most of us probably didn't, right? Right. And if you have that dream, that is awesome. Pursue it for sure. But for me, you know, I was always interested in mysteries and true crime and the legal procedure and all that kind of stuff. But I spent, you know, a lot of years being a stay at home mom. Um, And then trying to work maybe some part-time jobs while they were in school to always be available for for them as much as I could. I had an English degree, so you know what that means. I really was fit for nothing. (laughs) And so, yeah, 
once my girls got a little bit older, I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to school. I want to pursue some of the legal stuff. So I became a paralegal. And one of my first jobs after I got um, my certification for that was to work in a domestic violence court. And boy, you learn a lot about human nature and all kinds of things in the domestic violence court. You also learn that it's all strata of society. It's, it's not just poor people. It's not just uneducated people. And then as, as I did a little bit more, I actually moved into the corporate world because my girls wanted to go to college. And so I needed something that paid a little better than a government job. Yeah. And, you know, I got to the place where even though I liked my job, I liked the people I worked with, I just felt God calling me to something more. And I sat with that for months because I just didn't know what it was. And then I was watching the news one day and they were talking about a local case where some young men were being sentenced because they had kidnapped, raped, and murdered a young woman. And I had watched this case for years because she was missing for quite some time. And she was about the same age as my older daughter. And they even oh. looked a little bit alike. And so all I could ever think when I watched um, news stories about this case was, what if that was my child? Who would step up and help me? And so they featured the woman that did step and step up and help that family. They hired a private investigator. So the news interviewed her and I realized she didn't live all that far from me. And so I did what any normal person would do, jump on the computer, look her up and send her a message. Hey, I want to help you. And then I thought, oh my goodness, she is going to think I'm a lunatic. But she messaged me back and I said, you know, I've, I've got a legal background, you know, I can help organize case files or just whatever. And so that's how I started just working on stuff like that. And the longer I helped her, she's kind of like, you know, you could do this. You, you could be a PI. And I was like, really? I, that was, again, still not on my radar. And I thought, you know, if that gives me the credibility, the skills, and more importantly, the license that would give me the ability to help people more, then I was going to do that. So really, that's, that's kind of how it came about. Well, tell me about that license because I'm curious about that. And I didn't know, you know, that that existed even. My guess is most of my, uh, you know, audience didn't know that either. So tell me how that, how that process works. It's different in every state. Every state's got their own rules. There are a handful of states, unless they've changed things recently, there's maybe three or four states where you don't need a license at all, which is a terrible idea because anybody <laughs> right? could just go out there doing things they don't need to be doing. And so, um, you know, just, you can get just on your, your local government, state government website and look under licensures and, you know, barbers, contractors, all that, figure out who does private investigators. And, and usually they lump polygraph, um, examiners in there too, and then just see what you're required by statute to do. Some are a little more strict than others. Um, most will require you to, at the very least, study and take a test. Some will require you to work under somebody who's already licensed and, and kind of learn the ropes. I had to do that. So it, it just really depends. And then you have to take continuing education classes to keep up on things because you've got to be really careful about, you know, you see investigators on TV, slip a little something under somebody's car and then track them. Well, that's not right. always legal. And so you, yeah. you have to learn in your jurisdiction, when is that legal, if ever? You know, you have to learn, can I uh, surreptitiously record a conversation with somebody? Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. It depends not only on where I am, but where they are. So phone conversations can get tricky. Right, which is interesting. So I think there's a lot of people who maybe read Nancy Drew or watched, uh, you know, Murder, She Wrote or something. That dates me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm right there the, with you. <laughs> <laughs> but watch watch TV shows and go, oh yeah, they think that would be fun, right? Or they think it would be it would be like a thing. But it's not like a TV show, is it? No, it's not. We don't ever solve things in 60 minutes, which I think most people realize <laughs> that. Yeah. But um, you know, Magnum PI, again, that dates me, but that one always, you, you know, he's got this flashy car, <laughs> he's got these loud Hawaiian shirts. And typically you try to really blend in. You do not want to stand out. You don't want people paying any attention to you. And I think that's kind of one thing that I've got going for me. I'm small. I'm female. 
I'm just not somebody that you would typically go, oh, I think that person's a PI. So I can get away with a lot of stuff. Um, I play dumb really well. (laughs) And so, you know, people want to help you when you're just like, oh my gosh, I've got to get this information. My boss is going to be so mad at me and he's really kind of mean. I can't lose my job. I'm a single mom. I mean, you just go through all the things. And then once somebody just feels so terrible for you, they're like, oh, well, here, I'll I'll give you that information. Oh, thank you. Oh, you don't know how how much I appreciate that. And then, okay. So that is like Nancy Drew. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. I don't know that she ever played dumb necessarily. Maybe not. I don't know. I haven't read them all. Yeah, yeah, but you, in, you blend in. Uh, yeah, interesting, very interesting. Okay, so you you got into this. I'm curious about like you you felt like God was kind of leading in this direction. What do you think that's about, and how has that shaped your relationship with Him? I have a really really strong justice streak in me. I want things to be fair. I want things to be done right. And this has helped shape me understand again, that there are more shades of gray than the the black and white person that I really used to be. But I also learned that, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can get justice. A lot of times people think justice means we figure out who did it. We have the police arrest them. They go through the legal system. They're convicted. They spend time in jail. That's just not always possible whether um, an investigation maybe wasn't done as thoroughly as it should have been done, whether you've got witnesses who know what happened and they're scared, they're not going to cooperate. People tend to think that there's always DNA, there's always fingerprints, there's always all of this forensic evidence, and that's not true. More often than not, you don't have those things. And so, you know, a lot of the cases that I've worked have been situations where the authorities either called it an accident or a suicide. But when you really, really look at it, the evidence doesn't necessarily point that way. And so a lot of families want to kind of set the record straight. And they know that they can't force the police to reinvestigate. But sometimes we will um, use civil litigation and either sue for wrongful death or we'll do uh, more of a negligence suit, like a personal injury kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that way you get access to subpoena power. You can get documents that otherwise you might not be able to get. You can force people to set for depositions. And so you can get witnesses to talk to you who maybe otherwise wouldn't. And so sometimes families just want those answers. And especially in civil suits, it's about if the civil suit actually goes all the way to a jury verdict, it's about somebody, at least at some level saying, no, the narrative that's been put out there is not correct. Mm. We find that this is what happened. And so they're able to tell the true story of the end of their loved one's life. And that's justice too. Wow. Yeah. And I can't imagine, right? That's obviously one of the hardest things that a family would have to go through. Um, certainly, certainly hard. And you get to help them find that. So tell me about how that has shaped your relationship with the Lord. I've learned that small victories are really big victories. I've learned that I have to depend on him just absolutely for everything, you know, in, in my own power, I cannot do what these families need done. I've learned um, to be much more compassionate again, because Mm -hmm. some of these victims are maybe in a place where in hindsight you go, Oh, should you have been around that person or should you have been in that place? But how many of us have been somewhere we shouldn't have been at a time we shouldn't have been there? And maybe we walked away without the same kind of consequences. And so I've learned to be a lot less judgmental Mm -hmm. and just really, you know, at the end of the day, whatever justice I can help bring about, God's going to bring about his own perfect justice in his time. Yeah. So I hear you saying that you've learned a lot about God's heart for justice mm-hmm. and how he he 
he does care about justice, but he doesn't care about our legal system, right? He cares. Right. Uh, and he wants to, I mean, maybe he does, but he, he wants to, he lifts up those who are brokenhearted, mm. right? Because, because of that. And you're experiencing that as you work with them. Yeah. And I think one other big lesson I learned was, you know, it's funny when I meet people, especially like in church and they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm a private investigator and I do cold case homicides and I have a podcast all about true crime and they'll kind of look sideways, make sure nobody's listening. And then they'll whisper, I love that stuff. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, you can say that out loud. You know, I think Christians sometimes feel like somehow that's not a good thing to, to be paying any attention to, but because God has such a heart for justice, you know, I think we're called not, not, all of us, obviously, but a lot of us are called to that arena to lead the way and to bring God's mm. light into this dark, dark area. I mean, Christians led the way with building universities, building hospitals, the abolition movement. What are we really champion, championing these days to really, really help people who are hurting and broken? Yeah. Yeah. Because they matter to God. I mean, you don't have to read very far in the Old Testament. First of all, I don't think he is uh, shocked or, um, uh, you know, put off by these kinds of things, right? Like re- read the Old Testament. There's everything under the sun, right? There's murder, there's cover-ups, there's all those things uh, that happen. Uh, and they're among his people even, right? Oh, and yeah. He deals, he deals with it. So he's not surprised, and I don't think we need to either. But I, I love the idea of just even his heart for, for not just justice, but also just for the hurting, for how they, his compassion. That's even really in, interesting. Even in the New Testament, you know, Jesus is a master sure. storyteller, and he uses storytelling to great effect as a teaching tool. And most people don't stop and think that one of his best-known parables is actually a true crime story. Oh, you're right. The story of the Good Samaritan. This is yes. a man who was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. So there's three felonies right there. And what does Jesus teach us? He teaches us about who is our neighbor, who we should be having compassion on. And then he ends the story by saying, go and do likewise. And so that is really my heart. Um, you know, God's kind of led me to where I realize I can't do everything by myself. There's not enough hours in the day and I'm not skilled enough. But if I can encourage other believers and say, you know, Hey, if this is an area that you kind of have an interest in, there are small steps that you can take to be what I call a different kind of PI, a person of impact. Oh, wow. I love that. Okay. Well, so one question I want to ask you, cause these things are they're heavy, mm-hmm. right? There, I mean, it's obviously a lot to to handle. But so, have you ever had a season or a time when you felt like God was far away, or you just questioned His mercy, His justice, like it was something like that, or you were in a spiritual desert? Oh, for sure. Um, I don't think there's too many people that have really wrestled with with God that haven't experienced that, and it's just. It's, it's really upsetting when, you know, a crime happens and you sit there and think that was such an innocent victim. And then I stop and mm-hmm. go, okay, wait a minute. They're all innocent victims. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I think I'll go do something that will get me victimized today. Right. You know, they're broken people doing broken things. And sometimes that leads to really, really tragic endings. And, and so, you know, I have to just remind myself that even the people that have done these terrible things, th- this is the thing I wrestle with the most. Even the people that have done these terrible things are dearly loved children of God in the same way that I am. And none of us want to, <laughs> none of us really want to admit that, you know, Oh, that that person killed three people and God loves them just as much as he loves me. Nope, nope, that cannot be right. But, you know, you have to stay in the word. You have to stay with your faith community and you realize, mm-hmm. yeah, that that is right. 
you know, that person's going to have different consequences. That person's going to have more to answer for maybe, but that's still a child of God. Yeah. It's a really formational question to ask yourself, does God love insert the blank, right? The, the, the enemy, the ex, the, you know, person at work that you don't like, or the person at church who just, you can't stand, whatever. There's a, there's a lot of formation to that question when we sit with it for a while or the, the perpetrator of a crime, or, I mean, we can go all the way to Hitler if we want to, right? Does God, does like, that's, that's pushing it to the extreme, but does God still have designs for mercy and for love toward people that we don't think, you know, deserve it, right? Oh, exactly. And then you've got the flip side of the coin. I think as Christians, we can be too trusting. We trust in titles and positions as opposed to trusting in proven character. And so then, like I said, on the other side of that same coin, you've got people doing terrible things under the guise of being that perfect pastor, that perfect teacher, that perfect volunteer, whatever. And no one wants to believe that they're capable of those kind of things. And so they're allowed to continue to victimize people. Wow. All right. That's a, that's now I have to rant, Lori. You're right. So what, what you just said there is gold and it is the key. In fact, it's one of the, one of the key messages of this podcast is that uh, there we're all on the journey. And so we, none of us can escape that, but I'm not saying, you know, we, that I'm better than anyone else, but when friends, you hire somebody at your church, you get on a committee, don't look for somebody who can speak well, right? Don't look for somebody who has had a lot of success before. Look for somebody who has proven character, who loves the Lord deeply. And I know that that's what you say you're looking for, but that's not always what ends up happening, right? This is why we have all these things that happen. This is, these are the requirements. None of the requirements in scripture for elders or leaders have anything to do with the number of people who follow them. It's always about character. Mm-hmm. Well, look at King Saul. Everybody yeah. thought he ought to be the king because he was tall and he was good looking and all this stuff. And and he, you know, fell very, very, very short of the standards that he should have been living up to. And, and we're all capable of that. That's another thing we don't want to admit. Mm, right. We, in, in, Depending on the situation, we are all capable of doing terrible things. Yeah. I'm convinced Saul had a terrible case of imposter syndrome. I think that was his issue. I, uh, I think yeah, he, I can see that. You, you read about how he, he ran away from his coronation and like all these things. Like he, he was just really insecure and he, what he needed was somebody to go, wait, you're the guy. Like you're, we, you got this. Uh, but sometimes that doesn't help either. <laughs> so anyway, that was, that was his deal. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We, there's certainly these, you know, at any given moment, we can we can all have uh, moments. Okay, so how do you then? You know, are you do you find yourself like when you're doing this kind of work? Do you find the Lord to be present? Is that like what's that like for you? He really, really is. But I think one thing we can all forget to do is be intentional about noticing that He's there. How do you notice that He's there when you're? involved in a case or you're on a stakeout? Probably the biggest thing is I have to stay very involved with my faith community, my church, you know, that we're meant to live in community like that. And so it's easy. Oh, I won't go today because I'm feeling kind of down because I saw this stuff. Well, that's exactly when you need to go. You need to Mm -hmm. be poured into, you need to be lifted back up. Um, You know, praise and worship music, just, and I think it's different for people, whatever it is that really makes you feel connected, whether that's doing a devotional, I like to get out into nature and just remember, you know, I'll listen to these beautiful songs that these birds are singing because God created them to do just that. And that helps me a lot. Just kind of getting away where I can focus more on him and just trying to be thankful you know, God, this is tough, but I know you've called me to this. You sustain me through it. And, you know, it's, 
it's all worthwhile when you're able to help somebody. Yeah. So do you find yourself doing a lot of prayer when you're, when, when you're on like a surveillance mi- mission? I don't know what you call it. Like <laughs> when you're in those moments, like, do you, do you find yourself connecting with God a lot? In the slow, slow times? Yeah. Um, and especially yeah. like on, on what we call stationary surveillance, you know, you're just kind of sitting watching to see who's going in and out of a certain place or something. Mobile surveillance is a lot different. You really sure. have to keep more on top of uh, where everybody's going and not losing people and not, not getting so close that they figure out that they're being followed. And that, that is a crazy thing. When you have a successful mobile surveillance, you followed a person from point A to point B and you know, they have no idea you were there. <laughs> so pay attention people. Right. Okay. Well, so I'm going to have to have you teach me how to do that. Cause I'm like, well, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, that's wild. All right. So that's really fascinating. Now I can imagine that, um, you know, people can be, you know, th- these things are scary, right? These things can, are really scary kind of topics to, to talk about. Um, but I know that you recently published a book about uh, how to kick fear to the curb and then about um, the subtitle is Private Investigator Approved Personal Safety Tips with Biblical Evidence to Fear Not. So you're integrating. This is what I love about what you do is you integrate this sort of interesting, um, you know, I want to use the word spicy, but that usually means something else. But you know what I mean? Like this kind of like, like just really fascinating kind of uh, true crime with biblical values. And you've done that in this book. Well, I think it's really important. You know, God wants to be in every single part of our lives, not, not just quote our spiritual life. Um, you know, if we're really, really connected to him, our spiritual life invades everything we do. And so I think a lot of people, and I can't blame them. The world is broken. It seems to be increasingly chaotic and it's easy to be afraid, especially for women. And so not that we're more prone to be fearful, but we're a little more vulnerable. And so I wanted to give people practical, concrete, easy ways that they can feel more confident about their personal safety, about their kids' safety, about really the safety of their entire community. But I also wanted them to know that God does not call us to live in a spirit of fear. There are, you know, hundreds of verses, fear not, take courage. And I wanted us to be able to also focus on those and say, hey, I can be confident enough to live out whatever calling God gives me. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Uh, Yeah. Because this, so, well, I don't, you tell me it does, because it could be a dangerous profession that you have, right? For you have to be careful for women. Yeah. You have to be careful for sure. And, you know, I, I certainly don't take every case that's presented to me because it, here's a fun fact. Everybody thinks about the mafia. They think about New York city, the <laughs> Italian mafia, there's mafia, wherever you live, it goes by a different name, but there are organized criminals of, you know, greater oh, yeah. or lesser numbers of people in them. But it really is everywhere. And when I get any kind of hint that there's something like that involved, I'm going to refer it to somebody that's more experienced than me, that uh, has done that kind of work. I'm not doing anybody any favors if I get myself hurt or somebody else. Right. And so I stick to what I know I can handle. And I work with an incredible group of people. Um, I've been very fortunate to do two big investigations with this group. We have some ex-military, we've got some ex-police. And so they really watch out for our safety. It was really fascinating. One time we were we were doing a big investigation for um, a, a different podcast. The producers hired us to reinvestigate this case that they wanted to do a podcast on. And so very first day, once we all got there, because we were all coming from different states from all over. So first morning after everybody arrives, we're in this big Airbnb, all of us stand together. And we're at this huge dining room table, kind of putting our our game plan out. Who's going to talk to who, who's going to go where and and do what. And our security expert puts this big, just Tupperware thing on top of the table. And he goes, okay, what's everybody want? I got some 22s. I got a 45. And I'm like, Ooh, 
I've never been to a staff meeting where they passed out <laughs> weapons. This oh is my. this is interesting. They were smart enough. They did not give me one because what I was doing did not require one. Um, I have fired weapons before. I am not licensed to carry, although my state just recently did away with that so I could carry if I want to. But, oh um, you know, I just, I, I watch what kind of situation I need to be in. I assess whether I am capable of doing that. And if not, I get some help. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Okay. So I'm, I'm guessing the question that everybody has is, all right, what do I need to do in order to kind of keep my neighborhood safe? Keep like, what, what should I have eyes for that I should be looking at? Having eyes for something is a great way to phrase that because I think one of the biggest things is just situational awareness. And that's in your home, that's in your neighborhood, that's when you're out shopping or doing whatever. Pay attention to where you are because if you need to call 911, they need to know where you are. So always have a good idea of, you know, especially if you're in a city that you're not used to, maybe you're on vacation, you know, know what kind of cross street you're next to or big place, a venue, a shopping place, you know, so they could kind of hone in on where you're at. You'll keep an eye on people walking around you, especially if you're in kind of a touristy area or a densely packed area for an event or something. Criminals know that those are good places to go. And so yeah. there are going to be people wandering around next to you who have been in and out of jail for theft and whatnot. And they're just waiting to see if you'll do something that makes you an easy victim. And so you just, you want to make it as hard as possible for somebody to steal from you or assault you. You know, ladies, if, if you're out shopping or you're at a concert or sporting event or wherever you are, wear a crossbody bag. Don't just have the little purse on your shoulder that I can easily grab and run away with. Gentlemen, move that wallet from your back pocket to your front pocket. <laughs> yeah. A lot more difficult to get that out of your front pocket. Just, you know, things like that. and. Trust your instincts. You know, God gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside us, to, to guide mm. us in a lot of different ways. And if you just get that feeling that you're in a situation that this just isn't quite right, or that person right there seems like they're acting a little strangely, trust that. Get yourself out of that situation, away from that person, or at least let them know, hey, I'm watching you. <laughs> they're yeah. going to move on to somebody that's not paying attention. Yeah, really interesting. And I love that you brought up the Holy Spirit in that too, because I, I think, um, I mean, I, I grew up in a tradition where I mean, God, we would all say that we believed in the Holy Spirit, but we didn't really know what that meant, right? Like in yeah. my, kind of the opposite of Pentecostal where it was, where they're like, everything means the Holy Spirit. Uh, but this, so, the, so learning to trust my gut and learning to trust like, okay, this is how I actually, um, you know, and, and to hear that is, is kind of a skill that you have to develop and you have to be listening and watching and asking the questions. And, um, you know, certainly big cities, my, my son and I went to Baltimore and Gettysburg and then, uh, Philadelphia, which Gettysburg and Philadelphia could not be two more different places, <laughs> but being in those large spaces, right. I had those, ex those experiences, you know, where I was kind of watching everybody and I kind of making sure, um, I didn't always make my son sit on the outside so I could see the whole restaurant, but most of the time I did. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, my back's to the wall. But, um, but yeah, those are the kind of things like the, just having, having just knowing, right. Mm -hmm. And, and being aware can really help not only you, but others. Oh, sure. Because, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do to keep other people safe. Again, just by being aware. Do you yeah. notice a young girl, maybe dressed older than she really looks? Is she with an older man who seems to be controlling everything she's doing? Doesn't want her to get too far away from him. Orders for her. You know, is is that girl a victim of human trafficking? Maybe, maybe not. But you could call nine one one and have an officer who can who is trained to handle these things come and evaluate the situation. I don't advocate people just jumping in because I want you to stay right. safe. And you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're completely wrong and you're embarrassed. I mean, that, that happened to me. I was out shopping. It was right before closing time. My husband and I are checking out with our little purchases. There's hardly anybody in the store. 
And all of a sudden this guy comes in through the front, just makes a beeline over this area, picks something up, makes a beeline back outside. And so I told the clerk, I said, did you notice that? Did you see that guy just came in and grabbed something and walked right out? And she looks at me kind of bored and she said, did he go over right there by where the FedEx pickup section is? I said, well, yes, he did. <laughs> I did not know that you had a FedEx package pickup area here in this store. Thank you very much. So I was wrong and I got embarrassed a little bit. It's not like I ran out into the parking lot and tackled him. Right. But you asked the right question, yes. right? Which is, hey, is this a thing that I should be paying attention to? Do you see that too? And that's, I think, what we mean by if you see something, say something, right? Like say, hey, wait, is that, it's not just me. Is this is this something else? And so, uh, yeah, that that was really good. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Uh, love that. Okay. Well, I think that's this is all really fascinating. Your podcast, The Unlovely Truth, tell us about that uh, as well and what you try to do on that show. Well, I really thought it was going to just be a true crime book review podcast. That's kind of where I was going. And a friend of mine was helping me brainstorm through it. And she said, well, you know, there's so much out there in the true crime genre world. You need something that kind of makes you different. And, you know, you're a PI that that helps a little bit. She said, but what really makes you different is your faith. Could you combine those things? And I thought, wow, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) These these (laughs) things just don't go together at all. But the more I thought about it again, I thought, you know, we should be leading the way in this area. We should be helping people who are at the darkest point, a lot of them of their lives. And so what I try to do is I still use the true crime stories because again, they're stories that people are fascinated with. And I try to kind of pull out the larger topics like forgiveness. Um, I even talked about vigilantism with a pastor one time. That was really fun. And so we, you know, forgiveness, redemption, just all those, those different things. And I started realizing that people were really resonating with safety issues. So I do try to, you know, not that we're victim blaming at all, but you know, you can always look back and say, if I find myself in that situation, what might I need to do a little differently? And I encourage people, you know, here is a practical action step, something you can do to help families like this. And it can be as simple as, you know, obviously praying for them, but maybe you're really good on social media. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of pages out there on Facebook where people are looking for a missing loved one, or they're trying to get people to come forward with information on an unsolved homicide. And so if you're really good at doing social media and you love that, you might say, you know, Hey, I would like to help moderate this for you so that the family is not constantly dealing with that because it can get overwhelming and you can also block the trolls because believe it or not, people will troll families who have lost someone in the most tragic manner. I had one guest, um, mom of a, a murder victim, and she was again, looking for people to come forward with more information. And she had somebody, you know, I'm a psychic. I know what happened to him. And if you'll send me a thousand dollars, I will tell you. Uh, One guy said, Hey, I know what happened to your son. And if you'll send me nude pictures of yourself, I will tell you. Yeah. That is, is how depraved. (laughs) Okay. So Lori, I got to ask you this question. How do you keep your faith in humanity (laughs) with like, it's gotta be a balancing act, right? Like, cause stuff like that, I hear stuff like that. It's one thing to talk about a crime and you're like, okay, but to hear people exploiting victims of crimes, that is just the worst. Oh, exactly. And that's why one of my personal mottos is in God, we trust everybody else gets a background check. (laughs) So (laughs) until, until you show me that you are trustworthy, I'm going to keep you at arm's length. So that, you know, that's another safety lesson too, right there. We love to trust people. We love to be all about forgiveness and compassion. And that's great. Once people show they are deserving of being trusted, you know, Yes. I actually, I was not a PI at this time, but I knew some people at a church where there had been allegations that the children's pastor was molesting kids in the church. And I'm still floored to this day. This was decades ago, but one of the parents of these children defended the children's pastor and said, you don't understand. He loves children so much that he's willing to have uh, sleepovers at his house. Oh no. And I'm just thinking, 
do you hear the words that are coming right. out of your mouth? What in the Michael Jackson is this? Exactly. I like that. Oh, I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, you know, we don't like to talk about things in the church not being rosy and perfect. But uh, let me tell you, there have been studies done where psychologists talk to criminals and they admit that they target people of faith because they know we're so trusting. Uh, which is so fascinating and so frustrating at the same time, right? Like we, we want to believe the best in people and we, and we are, we, owe, we say, Hey, our sin's been covered by Jesus and so is theirs. Right. But also don't be dumb, right? Don't just make sure you ask those questions and, and, you know, don't overlook things. It's not, you're not a troublemaker if you're doing that. I'll tell you. So we, at our church, we used to go to, we had a great children's pastor, right? A, a woman and her her husband, but I still always wondered, you know, so they, they would do these overnights up at, at camp. And so that I knew they were going all together, you know, whatever. They were all in this big room, but still, I always, I always, I always wondered and always had the kind of like, tell me more or whatever. Like you have to ask those questions, even though I know they're, they're great people, right? Right. Um, you still have to have to ask. All right. Wow. Okay. So be, be careful friends and don't be like, you can be trust, but verify maybe in the words of Ronald Reagan, right? Be Everybody else gets a background check. I appreciate that. Um, Lori, I really appreciate the way that you, uh, are bringing, I'd like to say bringing the kingdom of God to bear on your genre, right? So, uh, it's one of the things that I believe podcasting can do better than maybe any other medium is be able to take what you know, take your niche, take your specialty in your case, being a private investigator and bringing that kingdom of God piece to it. And I'm just really uh, grateful that you took a little time to share that with us and that you're doing this. It's, it's really a wonderful thing. Um, friends, you can find Lori. Her website is theunlovelytruth.com. Her podcast is there and the book, if you want. I've got links at halfwaythepodcast.com, but you can find it there as well. Again, that's called How to Kick Fear to the Curb. Private Investigator approved personal safety tips with biblical evidence to fear not. I love that. Uh, Lori, is there anything you want to leave us with? I think I just want to encourage everybody, you know, you don't have to be afraid. You just need to be prepared. And it's not as hard as it sounds. You can do it. You can step up and help your friends do it. You can teach your kids to do it. And that's how we make our communities a safer place a little bit at a time. Love it. Plan ahead. And I think it's all really powerful. Thanks, Lori, for being here. I appreciate you. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you.